Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. We teach girls to shrink themselves, to make themselves smaller. We say to girls... You can have ambition, but not too much. You should aim to be successful, but not too successful. Otherwise, you will threaten the man. Because I am female, I'm expected to aspire to marriage. I'm expected to make my life choices, always keeping in mind that marriage is the most important. Well, that was my special guest giving her We Should All Be Feminists TED Talk, which was viewed more than five million times online and later sampled by Beyonce on her 2013 single Flawless, which you heard there. She is one of the world's most revered writers and books like Americana and Half of a Yellow Sun have gained her international acclaim. She was the recipient of the 2007 Women's Prize for Fiction, the 2018 Penn Pinter Prize, and recognized as one of the BBC's 100 Women of 2021. Her powerful oratory, often on contentious subjects, has made her a global success. Her first TED Talk is in the top 25 most viewed of all time. But her latest work takes a different form. It's called Mama sleeping scarf and is her first foray into children's literature. Uh, welcome Chimamanda Ngozi Adichie. Thank you so much, Mariela. It's lovely to talk to you. Yes, I'm very excited to have you here. It's been a long, I think I might have last talked to you when you published Half of a Yellow Sun and that was, yeah, a little while ago, let's just say that, shall we? <laughs> um, your, your latest, as I've said, uh, is a children's book um, and uh, most of what you've written in the past isn't really uh, children's territory, as it were. Uh, so I, I gather that this one was inspired first by an issue that most parents listening out there are going to absolutely empathise with, which is the impossibility of getting children today to read. Um, but the other inspiration was the passing of your parents in rather sad and quick succession a couple of years ago. Yes, yes. Um, I, I I was very much a, a daddy's girl and... Um, you know, losing my father was very difficult. And then my mother died a few months later and I was, I was close to both parents. And so it was really difficult. It still is. Um, and so I think, you know, I wanted to find a way to honor them. I'm finding all kinds of ways to honor them. And so one of those ways was to write this children's book um, as Grace James, which means daughter of Grace and James. My parents were Grace and James. Um, but also having a daughter, I thought it was also quite lovely to write this book for my daughter and also as a daughter. Um, my daughter is going to be eight um, in a few weeks, and I have been a little worried about about her um, interesting lack of um, passion <laughs> for reading. Um, she's you could see it as an act of revolution, of course, <laughs> or revolt. 
You know, I choose not to only because while I very much admire acts of revolt, I think in general, they're supposed to be good for you. Um, I'm not sure that turning away from reading is good for anyone. No, absolutely. But I mean, I wonder if, you know, it's twofold. Listen, I, I spent my whole life, as as you know, uh, you know, delving into the world of books and I have exactly the same issue. And, you know, my children are most likely, you know, I'm most likely to say to my children, not now I'm reading, you know, which I think sends pretty bad signals. But of course, there's, there's all the other distractions uh, out there as well. And I suppose that, you know, an awful lot of the most popular children's books were written quite a long time ago. And might not uh, reflect children's lives today uh, as much as perhaps they need to. Mm-hmm. Well, I think, I mean, I've I've always felt very strongly that children need to see themselves in books. Um, when I was growing up, I read a lot of books that were, um, you know, American or British and, and I loved them. But what it did to me was made, it made me think that books were things that, um, were about uh, experiences unfamiliar to me. Mm. And I think it's you, changing a bit now. Were but you it's eager to play not... lacrosse and have picnics with, you know, lemonade? Yes, I adored, I, I adored Enid Blyton. And so for a long time, I was fascinated by ginger beer. Um, and sort of, sort of, <laughs> famous five in particular. I wanted to go on adventures and sort of, um, you know, catch smugglers and dungeons and that kind of thing, and eat, um, and eat cucumber sandwiches. <laughs> but you know, writing this book wasn't so much about wanting my child, wanting myself, to, wanting my child to see herself reflected in a book because. We are fortunate now to have books in which, you know, the diverse range of children. But I do think that, um, you know, there's a particular sort of joy in seeing experiences that are very familiar to you and not just seeing people who look like you. So she she reads books in which the children are black, but I don't think we've read a book in which the child is um, Nigerian and Igbo like us. Mm-hmm. I mean, you said that you've written it under a pseudonym, though your own name is also on the uh, front jacket, and I'm sure that publishers will have had a hand in that if nobody else, um, because, you know, your name carries a lot of weight, as, as they say. But you said that it, that it was to honour your parents, which is, uh, you know, a wonderful instinct. But I was struck by that because I thought, don't you feel you've already honoured them by, you know, becoming, with your family name, uh, you know, an, a globally iconic figure uh, as both an author and a campaigner. I mean, if you were my daughter, uh, then I think I would be completely honoured, amazed and and proud. <laughs> no, I don't think that one can ever really um, honour one's parents enough, especially if they were good parents, I mean, obviously. But I think I mean, it's, it's about honouring them, but it's also in some ways an act of grief. Um, I think one of the things about grieving that I've discovered is that there is a kind of terror of forgetting and also um, a kind of dealing with um, guilt, I think. So I, I think I was mostly a good daughter, but I found myself questioning how good a daughter I was. And so I, this is also in some ways my way of um, of grieving. You know, I want to remember them. I want to, I want my daughter to remember them because they adored her. 
um, I want to remind myself or maybe I want to console myself <laughs> and tell myself that I wasn't such a bad daughter. Well, I think I find it very hard to believe that you were. But, um, you know, this is also, I discovered only very recently, uh, not your first name change, uh, as it were. <laughs> Why have you been trying to lose yourself uh, ever since you were a child? <laughs> <laughs> well, that's an interesting way of putting it. Um, now I'm thinking, Mariela, that I might need therapy for that. Um, well, I <laughs> no, actually, it's that. Yes, this is true. My name is Chima Amanda, and it's the name that I gave myself. Um, but it's also really, in some ways, it's not so much about losing myself. I think, I think it's about reclaiming who I really am. And so, when I was younger, I had an English name, um, which I will not tell you. And, oh, um, come on. Point... <laughs> it's just and you and me here. Just... <laughs> of course. I didn't want to be, I just, you know, I started to feel that it wasn't me, if that makes sense. And um, and so, yes, and and I just decided to change my name and give myself this name that also has a lovely meaning in Igbo. It means my my God will not fall down, which mm. I also like to think... Um, means that my spirit is uh, is indestructible. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Put that to the test, haven't you? <laughs> Over the last <laughs> decade or so. Um, you know, I mentioned in the introduction your incredible campaigning, um, both on behalf of every woman who wants to see an equitable place, a female-shaped space in the world, as I, I keep calling it. Uh, but also, you know, in terms of, you know, being foisted with a single story as a, a child and, and so many issues. You've spoken quite vociferously about cancel culture as well. You've said that trans, a trans woman is a trans woman. Um, and all of those things have caused controversy in different pockets of opinion, haven't they? You know, whether it was in your native Nigeria um, or elsewhere in the world. What what gives you, what gave you the courage to put your head above the parapet and to do so over and over? I mean, I've seen some really hideous stuff, you know, people threatening machetes. And I mean, I don't even want to go into it and give them airtime. But, you know, it, it's a difficult thing. Mm. I really love that expression of female-shaped world. Did you say a female-shaped space or female-shaped world? Well, I'd like the uh, the latter, but um, <laughs> I think at least a female-shaped space would be a good start. Yes, 
yes, yes. I think that's a, I think that's quite a lovely. I might steal that, Mariana. Um, you know, I I don't I, I don't set out to provoke. I never have. It's it's not um it's not something I enjoy, right? The idea of provoking just to provoke. But I've I don't remember a time when I didn't speak my mind. You know, I was the child who said what I what I thought. And I was also the child who would think about things and ask questions and want to learn and and want things to make sense. And I think I have a bit of a messiah complex as well, unfortunately. I kind of want to I want to save the world. <laughs> I want the world to be fairer and better, you know, all of those things. And yes, I think we now live in a world where it's difficult to have good faith conversations about many things. And um and so the, the the positions that I have taken and that I stand by, by the way, I, I haven't come from a desire to offend. They've come from feeling that um, truth matters, that justice matters, all of those things. Um, and I try very hard to stay away from social media and from what I like to call the noise um, because I think that it's very easy for one to become... Um, I guess for your spirit to become broken because you know it's it's difficult to be a public figure it's difficult to sort of feel that you're um, there's a lovely quote I remember from from Thomas Hardy about about his reviews and how he said a person has to be mad or something to constantly sort of rise up and be a target for other people but it, it comes with the territory and you know it's important to me to to speak about what I I feel strongly about Mm. I, I, you know, as you say, it comes with the territory, but it doesn't have to. There's lots of novelists out there who who don't speak up, and we've seen the worst uh, that can happen. You know, with with Salman Rushdie uh, last year, you know, it's not a danger to be treated as inconsequential, is it? Mm. So, what is it that is 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 the motivation? Mm. Just, I mean, just just that you want to change the world. Mm. It is honestly. I, you know, I, I think, <laughs> I think it would actually be lovely to be um, to be in a position of just being a writer who's completely and utterly, um, quote unquote, harmless. But that's not who I am. That's not, um, as my Igbo people say, that's not what my ancestors want me to be. I, I really do not know a time when I wasn't like this. You know, I, I, I think I must have been anno- an annoying child in primary school because. You know, I was always sort of, you know, questioning things and asking my teachers and feeling that I was sort of on a crusade for justice and that kind of thing. Um, so it's and, and they're two very separate things for me. My 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 fiction writing, what I like to call the my my creative um, soul, is very different from from the part of me that wants the world to be just and fair. And I do have to say that the creative part matters more to me. Um, nourishes me more but the other part is also important I just cannot I cannot sit silent if I think something is wrong right and I think that maybe I could contribute in some way and even if I don't end up making it better I think I sleep better at night knowing that I tried You've got a, as we've mentioned, and and you've written a book for her, a, a seven-year-old daughter. And before she was born, uh, one of the pieces of nonfiction you wrote was a, a a feisty letter to a friend who'd had a daughter about how she should 
bring her up as a feminist, you know. And, I mean, it, it was instructive, but, you know, also loving, obviously. Uh, but it was quite <laughs> utopian, I think, in a way, um, once you've had a child of your own. Have you, have you revised your stance at all? No, 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 not at all. I think that we must always make room for slices of utopia in the way that we live our lives. <laughs> no, I wrote that before I had my daughter. And of course, you know, when I had my daughter, I realized, my goodness, you know, it's easy to pontificate to people who are parents when you're not a parent yourself. Um, and so raising my daughter made me realize that it's, um, I had all of these suggestions for how to raise a, a child, a, a girl. Um, and I, I believe in all of them still. The only thing I would add if I were to revise that pamphlet would be to add after each suggestion, by the way, it's really difficult. Um, it, it sometimes feels as though, you know, the world, there's a conspiracy. <laughs> the world is is engaged in an active conspiracy to make things difficult <laughs> for a person who wants to raise their daughter um, to be, you know, in some ways, the opposite of everything that is considered conventional. You know, I don't want my daughter to to practice likability or or to think that her her role in life is, um, you know, because she's a girl, that her role in life is sort of secondary. You know, um, and it, it's difficult because there's just you know the world is 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 as it is, I guess. But it's not impossible, I don't think. So I'm trying very hard. So is my husband. And we've just decided that we'll do our best and then, you know, we'll hope that she turns out okay. So what do you think are, are the greatest challenges uh, facing girls growing up today as compared to, you know, when, when you and I, you were younger than me, though, uh, grew up? You know, one of the things, you, you liked the phrase woman-shaped space or female-shaped space. And, and I, you know, I came up with that idea when thinking about women in the workplace because, you know, the whole of women's sort of uh, biological journey is treated like a bit of an encumbrance. You know, it's something that has to be factored in and, you know, tolerated but not necessarily embraced and so on. And actually, if you think about it, you know, creating a, a working environment that women can fit into that's flexible enough to deal with child bearing and, uh, you know, all of the other things that women have to deal with from periods to, to, to menopause. Uh, it just makes sense. It makes for a healthier yeah. workforce. It, it's economically, it makes sense. And yet, you know, the idea that you would do that still feels one that's very much resisted despite all the economic imperatives and so on. So do you think that we live still in a time of sort of institutionalized misogyny that, 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 that gets overlooked because of many other issues? Oh, absolutely. I think I think we live in a world that is just utterly drenched in misogyny. And I and I don't yeah. say that to be dramatic. I think it is true. Um, I think the workplace, you know, all over the world is, is just not designed um, for women. There's a wonderful book called Invisible Women, um, which I read some years ago. And it's, you know, it just it, it's it's so it's so um, these are things that one knows, you know, just observing the world. But it's so it's so um, jarring to see example after example about how so much of the world just isn't designed um, for women or to, or to aid women or to include women. Um, and it's interesting that you talk about, um, you know, sort of pregnancy and things like that, because I think when I was younger, I didn't, I mean, I've, I've always felt very strongly about um, women's equality, but when I was younger, I hadn't quite understood how much, you know, sort of a woman's body shapes her options and her choices. 
And now that I am sort of at the grand old age of um, 40, uh, I forget, maybe I think I'm 46. I'm going to be 46. Baby. I, you know, it's, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, really. I think about that a lot because, you know, I'm now at a stage where it's not just that I'm a mother. It's also that, you know, I, my body is, do, is doing things that, um, you know, shape my choices and my options. I, I suffer now from really um, sort of near debilitating um, premenstrual issues. I, I don't know if oh, maybe dear. it's because I'm, and, and it's, it, it's gotten much worse, right? And, and increasingly it's made me think about these things, you know, in addition to, of course, sort of um, searching the internet, looking for, for um, things that I can take, because it seems to me that, that formal medicine doesn't really pay attention to, to things of that sort, you know, premenstrual issues, menopausal issues. You, you know, I go to a gynecologist and they say to me, well, why don't we put you in birth control pills? And I'm thinking that's the only thing you have really you know, yeah. we can, we can, we can perform the most delicate surgeries on the human brain, and we can't figure out how to make a woman um, be more comfortable before her period, really, you know, it's, I just find that really interesting. And um, so these are things I think about, and I, and of course, many examples, how, how pregnancy, I mean, studies have shown when we talk about the pay gap, um, between men and women, it's not so much that the evil men sitting there saying we will pay women less, although, you know, that also exists. It's mostly that women, when they get pregnant and, and have children, automatically fall off the ladder because because the workplace is designed for that to happen. You know, you're described as a campaigner, but not as, you know, a thinker. I'm sure if you were a man uh, that, you know, the fact that you've written all of these you know, in in some ways, academic papers on things that are of concern right now in the world, perhaps there'd be a bit more of the T word uh, applied to your name. Do you ever feel frustrated Mm -hmm. in that way? No, I I try not to think about it, but I think it's not so much about, I think, yes, it's partly about being a woman, but I think it's also because I'm interested in things concerning women. And I think if, if I had been a woman and I, I, I was concerned about, you know, I don't know what AI or something um, sort of thing, I think is really a waste of time, personally, I think I would be more likely to be called a thinker. There's a sense in which to talk about you know, women's issues is, is still considered um, not so much rabble rousing, but that, you know, you're, you're yeah, a campaigner, which is a quite a, which is a stupid word, I think. I, I don't really look myself up, so I'm a bit um, disappointed to, to know that I'm considered a campaigner. I'll call you a thinker, okay? We'll start with, start with one person <laughs> and we can change the world. Um, I, I was, though, struck. You, you mentioned a quote from Hardy about reading reviews, and I was struck. I mean, you come from an academic family. You'll have been used to the idea of, you know, critical thinking and, and, and you know, approach novels other, by other people from that point of view. Uh, but I think you also, uh, despite the fact that, uh, you know, we've talked about the awful social media stuff, uh, you don't read reviews, is that right? No, I don't. I don't. No, I, have, you, I haven't read a review since my first novel was published. They're really good. <laughs> that's what I'd let well, you know. <laughs> well, that's good to know. But you know, the thing about this, this is one of the, I mean, the thing about being a creative person, I think, is that there's a fragility there, isn't it? And, and, and I worry that um, it doesn't matter how good it is, that I will most probably fixate on the one line that 
is not good. And because there is a bit of a, a fighter in me, <laughs> that I might then um, find myself responding to that line, the next thing I write, if that makes sense. And mm. I just don't want that. I don't want to, I don't want to have somebody else's voice in my head. I just don't want that. And so and so I don't think I will ever read reviews because it's kind of too late. I haven't read them in years and I, I just don't see myself ever reading them. And I mentioned earlier, you know, the fact that you've lifted your head above the parapet when it comes to, um, well, I suppose the trans debate, cancel culture, all of those things. I mean, do you feel that in a way the huge amount of discourse around those issues has has taken attention away from the fact that across the globe, uh, you know, there is still impossible inequality for the majority of women that, you know, what we have here in, in the Western world, and indeed I, I'm sure in, in Nigeria, is, is a hell of a lot better than it is in most places. Well, yes, actually, I just remembered something about reviews, just thinking about it now that yeah. um, I, I, I do have a friend who, and I've warned her to stop, but from time to time, she'll send me one line from a review, which is usually intended to annoy me. <laughs> and so, um, <laughs> and because it's sort of, you know, there's no context for it, you know, I read it and I'm like, what the hell? Don't do this anymore. Anyway, I just thought about that. Um, I, you know, so when it comes to thinking about women, I mean, obviously I'm Nigerian. I have two homes. I live in Nigeria. I also live in the U.S. And so it gives me a kind of perspective, I think. And, you know, I come from a place where because I was born female, I cannot inherit property today in 2023. Right? Um, in Nigeria, if, if, you, if you're married to a man who's not Nigerian, um, as a woman, you cannot give him Nigerian citizenship. But if you're a man, you can give a woman citizenship. I mean, so the, the things that just seem, you know, sort of archaic are still very much present in Nigeria, which is a country that I think in terms of um, women's rights in the context of Africa is not even the worst. And then there's there's Afghanistan. <laughs> I mean, we, I've been reading a lot about Iran and Afghanistan, just so inspired by the women there. But it, we have to remember that What's happening there is, is you know, it's it's almost medieval. Actually, it is. And but but this is not to say that I I don't think that the issues that women in the U.S. in the U.K. in Western Europe have should be diminished because I think they are still serious. They might not be as as dramatic, but they're still there. And, and so my point is that. I do not think that there's anywhere in the world where we've even come close to achieving equality for men and women. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the acclaimed movie, All of Us Strangers, starring Paul Mescal and Andrew Scott. Stream the new Hulu original limited series, We Were the Lucky Ones, with Joey King and Logan Lerman. And... Don't forget about Grey's Anatomy. Every Grey's episode ever is now streaming on Hulu. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Hulu.